Welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 97, your weekly podcast covering everything Magic the Gathering related. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and mtggoldfish.com. Your host, as always, Chaz, and uh, covering uh, financial aspects of the game as well as just general MTG content. Joined, we're back. We're back with Richard. Richard, how are you? Richard, the owner of MTG Goldfish, welcome back. What's up, everyone? I'm back. And I'm ready to talk magic. I've been away from magic for too long. <laughs> yeah, good to have you back. Uh, joining us, Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, as always, our resident jank and budget brewer. What's up, Seth? Uh, what's up, guys? Welcome back, Richard. Hey, Richard. Woo! I, I, am, I, I have to admit, I'm really dragging today. Uh, and It's because it was apparently Monday morning football. <laughs> crazy game if you didn't see it but uh let's just dive right into it so on the docket uh we are going to talk a little bit about uh standard uh seth you and i talked about a little bit uh last week but we wanted to you know now that richard's back kind of just delve into where standard is uh right now some some key questions that we wanted to discuss then we wanted to go into a bit a little bit of legacy talk some spicy stuff uh coming out uh for legacy um, some interesting tech that people are kind of upset about since the availability of these cards are in question. And that'll kind of lead us into uh, treasure t- chests on MTGO. I-, I know you wanted to highlight that, Richard. And then we'll answer some fish mail. So just to kind of start things off, Seth, you wrote, uh, you talked about this last week with me that there's just an overwhelming percentage of uh, a certain few decks in standard. So why don't you just, I'll give the floor to you just to set the tone of where Standard is right now and some key questions that we can discuss. All right, well, well, when we were talking last week, Standard was about 50% Black Green Delirium and Red White, or Red White, Blue White Flash. So we were about 50% in those two decks with Blue White Flash being almost 30% by itself. So that's half of the Standard metagame. Uh, with Magic Online and in paper, it's a mixture of both, but half of the standard metagame being those two decks, and 30% for one deck is incredibly high. We're talking uh, peak collected company, peak rally the ancestors. When they were at their peaks, they were around that same percentage of the meta. So we're really at a, a really major saturation of these two decks since then things have improved slightly those two decks are down to like 43 percent with green red etherworks making some gains from like seven or eight percent up to 13 percent so a little bit of a change but still 43 percent of the meta being those two decks and the big thing that sticks out to me is just when this is happening we're not very far into kaladash standard a month or two at this point so this means we don't have a rotation for another 10 months so we've seen this happen before where one deck or two decks is a huge part of the meta but normally it's like last summer with collected company and like yeah it's boring that if you turn on a gp you're gonna see a ton of bank company mirrors but you can hold to the fact that bank company and collected company are gonna in a couple months in this scenario we got 10 months before anything's going to change so are we just looking at these two decks being the standard format from now until fall of 2017 is that what standard is i think it's a bit early to declare these two decks uh, <laughs> being the only decks until fall because either revolt comes out 
soon. So that would probably shake up the metagame. But if you look at the cards that these decks play, they're both basically Jun decks in the sense that they just play the best cards in their colors. So I have a hard time believing that Archangel Avacyn will suddenly become bad or that Reflector Mage will suddenly become bad. So these cards will stick around, I think. And maybe it's just a, a byproduct of the Mythic Era. And, you know, like, what card will beat Gideon, Allies, Zendikar? You know, there, there's got to be, like, some two-drop that prevents all Planeswalkers from activating abilities or something. And, like, that's just not going to happen. So I think these cards will survive until fall. Uh, hopefully we get a third deck or a fourth deck or a fifth deck. But, you know, blue-white flash, black-green delirium, it's hard to imagine a world where they suddenly become totally terrible. Uh, we know that they don't print hosers anymore. Uh, what, what, like, the only thing they could do is print a card just better than these cards, which would just make the problem worse. So while I think you, you can't declare standard stale yet, I see the concerns, and hopefully Aether Revolt will do something, uh, bring about new archetypes or strengthen the old archetypes, and so we actually get uh, a few more than just two decks in the top eight every tournament. We we discussed this a little bit off cast, and I kind of brought up these few questions. I mean, I don't want to declare you know this format you know X until until fall. Does it look kind of concerning right now? Yes, especially because they kind of rolled back the the rotation schedule. But uh, you did brought up the point, Richard, that. The two decks, like Black Green, Delirium, and Flash, like that's actually, when you look back at previous standards, that's actually kind of where, almost in a healthy way, that's where like standards should be. And then you have, like, you need that third deck that kind of fits the rock, paper, scissors kind of mantra that has always been standard. And we're kind of looking at that in Green, uh, Red, Aetherworks. I mean, it's only a few percentage points behind Black Green, Delirium. So. It has shifted a little bit, like you said, Seth, over the last like few weeks or so, right? Uh, it's it's shifted slightly. I think the two yeah. big decks lost like five or six percent in the last week or two, so it's been down a little bit. Right. So so folks, so players of standard are finding that kind of third viable option that has a pretty good game against one or both of these decks, and and, and like I said, the percentage point is is very close to Black Green Delirium. So. Uh, but but the the problem I have is that, and may, maybe other folks uh, might start to uh, be concerned about is we have to kind of now hope that each set like uh, Aether Revolt, then we have Amonkhet that block before uh, the fall, and you kind of just have to hope those decks or those sets shake up standard enough that it it, it keeps at least things fresh enough that. You know, maybe we will see uh, new decks emerge or uh, just, you know, something that we can hang our hat on and say, all right, well, at least it's it's changing. But it, so we have to hope for that rather than before where at least we had the idea that the standard rotation in its will now former state, you know, whether the sets were going to kind of shake things up or not there was a forced rotation that we wouldn't have to see these decks for x amount of time if none of these sets provided enough uh variants so that's kind of like my concern i don't know where you are with that isn't this narrative like always the same what when was the last yeah, quote-unquote right. good standard you know there's always something to complain about rally collective company rhino five color good stuff mono blue mono black devotion like 
Magic players always complain about standard being stale. <laughs> yeah. So, like, what what exactly is new here? Like, is it this how it works? Like, there's a format, it gets solved. If you enjoy the mirrors or the intricacies of playing the deck, then you play it. Otherwise, uh, you put your standard deck aside and, and do something else until the new the new set comes out. Isn't that what standard is? Like, how is this any different? Uh, the, I think for me, it's the timing. That's what feels different. Like, I'm, I'm used to these complaints and feeling like that, but I don't remember feeling this way about, I don't know, Siege Rhino two months after Khan's released, or feeling uh, that way about even the Devotion standard, like, right after the Fall Pro Tour. Like, I remember feeling that way, like, in the spring, and we're, like, six months from rotation, and, like, all right, we've been doing this for a while now, but it just seems so early in the cycle of of standard to feel like things are already figured out. So I guess that leads me to the question, is standard just getting solved too fast? Like, are we just at a point where standard is getting solved a month or two after a set releases and we already have it figured out that quickly. Yes, I do think it is. And, and I, I look at just the conversation. I mean, I, I bring up the point of, you know, Cedric Phillips, I, I saw a conversation with him on Twitter. And I mean, even he even feels the same way that, you know, standard, but you know, just the times that we're in with information, just being instant to everybody and just how quickly people can just look at things uh, and kind of, make conclusions on their own it is i mean it i don't know really how you solve that but it is being solved too quickly uh the one kind of point that he made that may have alleviated that is them bringing back the state like it, it should have been the fast rotation and that i think they made the decision too quickly uh about you know kind of reeling the changes back in without seeing exactly how that would play out yeah a hundred percent 100% agree with you. I mean, we live in the information age, or I don't know, maybe we're past that. But basically, if you look back two, three years ago, you didn't have like the big content sites from the pros like Channel Fireball, Haruya, or whatnot. You know, you had to pay for Star City Games premium membership. And, you know, how many people paid for that? Right now, when someone breaks something, you, you see it basically live on Twitch or on Twitter like five seconds later, or, you know, one hour later on Reddit. So information travels super fast now. You know, regardless of what Wizards tries to do to contain this information, it gets out and the format gets solved quickly. So I thought that's what they realized when they changed the rotation schedule. You know, if it's getting solved fast, then just rotate more quickly. But they rolled that back. So I'm not exactly sure where they're going with this because, you know, as we keep going forward, things just get solved faster and faster. Just er with more Magic players, there's more people trying to break formats uh, more pros, more Hall of Famers, whatever, solving standard. And it's only going to get faster and faster from here. And maybe in a year, we'll be you know one week out from the Pro Tour and everyone's burnt <laughs> out already from the solve <laughs> format, right? So Wizards needs to do something about this. And it, it's possible it's the decks, like the cards. Like maybe if you gave five-color mana bases, you could do something. Or if the power level was lower, there'd be more diversity. Or pushing the Pro Tour back maybe a month after release, or just speeding up rotation. Uh, but I, I think it's up to Wizards to somehow fix this, because people are just solving this faster and faster every day. To, to go off actually what you just said, and this was a point that we also discussed uh, pre-cast, just as a question I wanted to bring up, um, since you were going down that avenue anyway, I, I saw an actually really 
good, you know, question or I guess statement on Reddit, you know, someone trying to argue the case that, like you just said, uh, maybe it's the decks. Well, maybe what about the, the clear absence of like a really good aggressive like red base list or even if it's not red base, but it just kind of feels like we need that factor in standard. I mean, there's no like aggressive list like we had a Tarka Red or we just had like even before that we had Hellrider based uh, aggressive red lists to keep these kind of big grindy or you know tempo based decks honest. I mean, you look at the third, the fourth deck in terms of meta percentages. Is you look at Mardu vehicles, even that's like like you said, Richard. It's kind of grindy. It's like not even really that aggressive. It's you know we're we're kind of really lacking in a strategy to keep these decks honest. So that that's actually a really good angle that I've been thinking of for quite some time now is that there's just a clear absence of a really aggressive list. Oh, you aggro players, you have no, Martin but- <laughs> vehicles, you got red black aggro. What about us control players? Right. If something's missing, maybe it's a good control deck that can keep these things in check. I don't know yeah, this- that too. It's just, this is standard, and it's been standard for, like, the past few years, and it's what Wizards want standard to be, and it's why we talked about Frontier last week, it's why I'm not all that excited about Frontier, is Wizards' view of magic in this modern age is mid-range things bouncing into each other, and then (laughs) expensive removal spells to target them, so it's, that is just what magic, what modern card design is like, and it's been like that for at least two or three years now. So I don't know. I'm not, I guess in some sense, I'm not surprised there's not a super aggressive red list and there's not a a tier control list. And so uh, this is what wizard wants is three or four different archetypes and colors of decks that are all like playing things that cost three to five mana that are really powerful. And you play hour long games and see who comes out on top and who has the, the last threat standing after you, you just uh, play this mid-range battle. So, right. but I, I mean, let's not forget. I mean, a, a control list won the the pro tour. I mean, no no one is going to be piloting it the same. But it's not too long ago that a control list won the pro tour. But it's exactly kind of we discussed it the week after Seth. Remember that conversation that now that the pro tour is over, we kind of felt that that control list would almost like completely fall off. Yeah, I'm looking at the meta right now, and uh, Jeskai Dynavolt, I guess, is the most popular control list, and it's like 2.6% of the meta, which is way... And there's and there's no Esper list. There's uh, just no other control list. You're getting down to less than one percent for those type of decks. So it really isn't a major part of the meta. Just like a super aggressive list, unless you count green red, like the Pummeler Energy deck, which kind of feels like that to me, but it's obviously very different. Uh, but both of those things are kind of missing, and all the big decks are are mostly mid range when it comes right down to it. I mean, it turns out we're not Shoda, which we all predicted. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we I, all kind of figured that. Chaz is absolutely correct in that we need an aggressive red deck to keep all these value cards in check. Uh, you know, remember standard of like three years ago where you had the most absurdly broken cards, the Titan cycle, Primeval Titan, Grave Titan, Sun Titan. Those cards are absolutely insane and there's no way you can fight a fair fight against them. But what you could do is go under them, right? There was a mono red deck. What was it? Stromkirk Noble into... Yep. What was the two to cast 3-3? Three, three? Uh, Lightning Mauler. No, no, no. There's a Bloodthirst guy that 
had basically menace. <sighs> and then you had Shrine and Burning oh. Rage, which could hit someone for like 10 in the face. Something but, Berserker? Yes, oh, yes. Strom, Stromblood Berserker? But yes. you basically went under them. And if you had a fast yeah. deck today, uh, Gideon just becomes a 4-mana 2-2, which is terrible. Archangel Avison can't even be cast. And you would just kill them before any of these cards had an impact. Uh, Sylvan Advocate would remain a 2-3 by the time you're dead. But there is no fast deck, right? They want turn 5 Wraths. They want everything to be slow. And we just degenerate into mid-range combat and basically Jund, right? You get Jund of two colors here. The best mid-range cards all thrown together and then they just battle it out forever. So I think it's part of the design philosophy here that's that's causing this because, you know, let me curve one, two, three, turn four, you're dead uh, unless you interact. But that's that's not a thing anymore. Yeah, and even you said it. You said it in pre-recording. Like, what what happened to ripping like a lightning strike or even a lightning bolt even few years back off the top? Uh, well, I and I mean that's just the design philosophy. Just those cards have gone the way of counterspell. <laughs> you just the wizards doesn't want to do that. And I mean, really, what we're seeing, I think, is the culmination of the changes wizards has made in the past year or two, which are. Uh, no one mana mana dorks are gone. Four mana rass are gone. Uh, real one or even two mana burn spells like lightning strike are gone. And when you do that, what you end up with is a whole bunch of decks that play mid range threats. So I don't know. I, maybe I guess we'll have to see if Wizards steps back on some of those design changes moving forward, or maybe this is their picture of an ideal standard is just uh, not having the really aggressive deck or a more controlling deck with four mana rass. So I guess we'll see a year or two from now uh, if, if things change or if this is just what wizards want standard to be. Yeah, it's certainly interesting. I mean, I did, I did bring up the point that all card games kind of do suffer this problem. And, and it's back to what Richard said. We're in this, information age whatever you want to call it that just so this information is just it travels so quickly the content is just through the roof i mean you have channel fireball now you have haru you have all these different teams all pot you know all providing information to solve the meta so quickly and that a lot of a lot of these card games do suffer the same issue i mean so it kind of feels like we, we talked about it kind of feels like them throwing darts at a you know and, and trying to see if something I guess sticks, but it kind of felt like they at least had something with the the standard rotation being so quick that they probably shouldn't have bucked that really uh, as fast as they did. Yeah, what's the odds that Wizards walks back? They're walking back <laughs> of the rotation changes. <laughs> hey, <laughs> so I have a question for you guys. So I, I heard someone say uh, something along the lines of, "If chess was invented today, no one would play it." And it's basically a game where, you know, all the pieces are the same. And it's the intricacies of gameplay that make it interesting. Which is basically where we're at in Standard, right? Like, the decks are the same. And it's really the the interactions that make it interesting. Kind of like Legacy as well. You play your same deck, like, year in and year out. But every match, even though it's the same decks, turns out to be very interesting. So... Do you agree with that sentiment? Like, is it because these cards are too brain dead now? Like, you just slap down Gideon and keep making tokens until the other guy dies and, you know, that's it? Is it because the cards don't provide enough choice anymore that we don't like playing mirror matches? Did anyone like playing Cobblade Mirror? I, I don't know. Like, 
No, I definitely did not. <laughs> that, no. like, is that a problem? Maybe if they made mirror matches more entertaining. That, that is a really great. I mean, that's a really great point that I haven't really, you know, took much time to think about. But you could, you can argue it the same way. And I really like that perspective on it. That, like, maybe I mean, if you are playing Blue White Flash and the Delirium and the Aetherworks list, I mean. Aren't you really boiling it, boiling it down to interactions? Like, is it really that brain dead? I mean, I don't know. It kind of feels like you're still making enough choices, right? Like, I don't know. Maybe maybe that is what the design. Maybe it's boiled down to, okay, well, we'll have a few different, you know, decks that are this powerful. Now it's go play those decks and, and master the gameplay. For me, I would rather see more different things happening. And uh, personally, I would rather see a wider range of decks. I know when I was researching my article for this weekend about standard bannings, uh, one of the articles I read was their banning announcement for Clawblade when Jace got banned. And Aaron Forsyth pretty much said, uh, we got to the point where Clawblade was like, I don't even know, 75% of the meta. It was ridiculous how much of the meta it was. But it's actually super challenging. And that's the feedback they got from especially high-level players is Clawblade mirrors are incredibly skill-intensive. They're incredibly interactive. So Wizard said, basically, we decided we were going to give this a shot and see if players would tolerate a one-deck metagame with the matches of that metagame being really interactive and entertaining and skill testing. And attendance started to drop, and they ended up making the bannings. Uh, so back then, at least, having the same thing over and over and over again, even though it was skill testing and interactive and all this stuff, apparently wasn't what most people wanted because people stopped showing up to standard tournaments. Yeah, it was the same thing when Affinity got banned in standard. They said, oh, you know, let's see if, you know, affinity versus affinity mirrors are interactive or if, you know, these big red decks or tooth and nail are actually good enough to stop them. Turns out no one ended up wanting to play. Uh, people got tired of affinity and they banned it. So even goes back further than that stuff. And I know it's not a, a great comparison. The, our standard now is not the same as affinity, no. not the same as Callblade. So we're not saying that, but... I think people do want different gameplay, different interactions, and I don't think people enjoy the same thing over and over again, because even if it's fun the first 10 times or 50 times, when you have a whole year of it and you're going to tournaments every week or F&M every week, eventually you're going to get sick of doing the same thing over and over again. It's like watching the same movie. Even if you really love it, it's your favorite movie of all time. If you watch that same movie twice a week for a year you're probably going to end up hating it and i think that's what happens yeah. with standard sooner or later i think you have to realize also that this is only really a compounded issue on the big like the the big screen like in the big tournaments the 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 higher ev or even if you want to use scg as a metric because when i look at you know daily finishes and like the daily standard leads i mean there's still i mean yeah you get your flash and your black green delirium but i still see plenty of other decks putting up five roll results so i mean that's like the trade-off do you do you care that it's a, an issue on the higher end of the scale but you can still go to an fnm and be competitive with you know black red zombies or you know jeskai dynavolt or any of these lower percentage decks because on that level it feels like there's still a lot of diversity but I mean, doesn't everything triple trickle down from the Pro Tour streams, the SCG streams? Yeah. So I think that I think that the perception is 
just as important as actual gameplay. Like if I turn on SCG and GPs and see just those two decks over and over again, uh, it might make me not show up to my next FNM because I assume <laughs> that that's what right what standard is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I got you. I don't know a lot of lot of different uh, points to talk about. I think it it does still boil down to that maybe we kind of jumped the gun on the uh, standard rotation. We need we need choke back in standard oh, Gra- graveyard <laughs> hate maybe blood moon that'll that'll shake things up. We need lightning bolt. So we basically we need humility, right? Like all your creatures are just one ones, and it's all good, right? Yeah, yeah. we need Mo- mono. We need hell rider. <laughs> Bring me back hell rider. God, shrine of burning rage. That's all. Just give me one yes. good burn spell. Give me some red love. <laughs> All right, moving on. Some interesting and spicy tech coming out of Legacy. This is your wheelhouse, Richard, because you still can't believe that <laughs> that Legacy is or Elves is playing Nissa Vital Force. So wait, so this is Nissa Vital Force, not the six mana Nissa. So Crisis Averted. <laughs> See, I told you, <laughs> Nissa is going to be good. Yeah, I don't understand. Someone explain to me, maybe in the comments or on Twitter, like why this is a thing. So Seth told me. That you turn your land, your guy's cradle to a creature, and you can basically keep untapping it, uh, you know, with with your elf shenanigans to generate tons of mana. But to cast Nissa, you spent five mana, and when I'm playing against elves, if they have five mana, I'm probably dead already. Like natural order costs four, right? Green Sun Zenith, you know, like they can't get Crater Hoof and cast it, but a natural order is just as good. So I'm I'm very confused. Nissa also gets hit by Spell Pierce anyway, and so I'm very confused why you would play Nissa outside of losing a bet to your friends. It seems like a, a win con would, would get you there. So do, do you guys have any insight, like, why you would just randomly play Nissa in this elf deck? I don't know the full reasoning, but I heard that it's just because you get to have Gaia Cradle shenanigans. And I would be, I would be more kind of... It, it makes sense maybe as a one-of to, like, try it out, but it's a two-of. So yeah, it would make more sense in the was, sideboard, like if there's a specific right. matchup. But right, like usually when it's like turn three or four, I'm like dead to elves, right? Or they're grinding me out yeah. by hitting me with one ones. Does does Nissa help with that? Maybe that helps the grindy game where you just hit them with a five five elemental. Yeah, and again, it's 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 two copies, so it's not like it's just something that you know if it happens, like I kind of plan for this, and it it's something that can you know happen randomly. This is something that you want to see of. At least <laughs> some of the time. So it's kind of like it, it seemed like it had a place. I don't know. Maybe the regrowth play legacy enough. is what well, you just play regrowth, like actual regrowth. I'm confused. I, it, <laughs> it, it actually, and maybe I'm wrong here, but it actually seems like maybe it's tech against miracles too. Like at five, you're going to get over. Uh, most of the stuff that would be flipped with counterbalance, and then you can just beat them down, beat down their jaces with a hasty 5-5 five, five every turn? I don't know. Ooh, that, mm, that, like maybe it's like turn yeah. 3 Nissa Vital Force and hit them with the 5-5 five, five, like four <laughs> times yeah. and win the game. That that sounds more reasonable than looping Gaia's Cradle, because I, I don't know. Yeah. That seems win more to me. Yeah, that angle definitely feels like you already have the mana, right? I tweeted this on Twitter, but when I saw Seth tweet this, I was like, oh my god, because I thought it was Nature's Artisan. I thought we were all going to resign from the podcast. No. <laughs> we, still get, we still have a spot on the podcast <laughs> for now. <laughs> no, Seth, don't do it. Don't put us out. <laughs> don't put me or Richard out. 
it's honestly surprising. This is going off topic, but it's surprising since that conversation. I haven't seen an against the odds. Nissa's <laughs> Nissa Artisan. No, I I even played just the other to one. A point. I played I played Chandra, but not yeah, so but I, not Nissa. Why? Uh, it felt like the more competitive of the two. Oh. <laughs> so all <of> that <laughs> you have us worried, and then you say it's not even the more competitive one. I, I'm on you, Seth. Uh, I, I see what's going on. Speaking <laughs> speaking of legacy, we have Palace Jailer making another top eight, a new conspiracy card with Monarch. And uh, this might segue into our next topic, but legacy people are flipping out because that's a card that Wizards chose not to put onto Magic Online. They don't feel like programming the Monarch mechanic, apparently. So they're just like, we won't put these on Magic Online. So you literally cannot play one of the top eight legacy decks in its optimal form on Magic Online. And this isn't just the... You got to wait a couple months because we're releasing them, but it's going to take a minute. This is a, we don't plan on putting this card on Magic Online forever. So from now until infinity, you can't play the best death than taxes list on Magic Online. So yeah, uh, and what, do, what do you think about that? Well, it's also the compounded issue. And I, I think Richard wanted to go off on a little tangent here on the treasure chest. So even if you did get these cards. I mean, how much is Leovold <laughs> uh, because of Treasure Chest? What, like, it was last, what, $70? It has come down to, like, what, 40 So it's like, even if you do get these cards, you can't get them in a traditional way. <laughs> so they're, like, astronomically more because there's just not enough supply due to these Treasure Chests. So well, Palace Jailer's an uncommon, so we got that right, so. for it. But I really feel bad for Death and Taxes player because they couldn't play with Sanctum Prelate and Recruiter the Guard. And they're like, okay, yeah, Conspiracy's coming out. And they finally get released. And then Palace Jailer is missing. So I haven't, I haven't actually seen it in action, but apparently it's really good. And it's it's kind of just another like middle finger to, to Magic Online players. Like We always talk about the death of Legacy. And I always say, don't worry, the last, kind of the, the last stand of Legacy is Magic Online. You'll always be able to play there for cheap. There's no reserve list. Uh, but now they just don't put cards in Magic Online. So maybe Legacy actually is actually dead. Because you can't play on Magic <laughs> Online either. So I, I don't I, I don't know what's going on. Like, how could they not see that Palace Jailer uh, needs to be implemented? It just uh, the, the answer is, like, there's not enough Legacy players. They don't care enough. Kind of just like Commander players. Like, the, the most trampled on demographic of magic online is commander players and then the second most is legacy players so like we get nothing and i i don't know you just just don't play death and taxes anymore uh, not that anyone could because rashad in port but you know what they kind of fix rashad in port for a bit and then palace jailer pops up so it's it's just not good to be a magic online legacy player it's just so weird because for Magic's, Magic Online's entire lifespan, the entire idea of it was it would be a digital mimicry of the paper game. Like, everything was exactly the same. That was the whole point of it. And then all of a sudden, in the last six months or the last year, Wizards just, like, gave up on that entire idea of having it be the same. Now the decks can't be the same. Uh, we have cards that are in paper that aren't on magic online we have all these issues and and i don't know do you think that's a good thing like i get that breaking that barrier or that bond between the paper game and the digital game might be necessary to make 
Magic Online as popular as it can be. You get rid of the redemption, you can lower booster prices and have a more Hearthstone model, maybe get more players. But is that a, is that what we want Magic Online to be or do is it better to have Magic Online being as close to the paper game as possible? So it should be Hearthstone in kind of the the meta aspects, right? But the actual core gameplay itself should be exactly the same. Like, why, why are half the cards missing? Well, not half the cards. Like, why, why are, like, 10 or 20 important cards missing? So, you know, things like, oh, they animate differently. Or, oh, you know, how you play matches is different. That is fine, right? That's just kind of a, a side effect of going digital. But things like Palace Jail are not being present just blows my mind. The fact that we're, we're trying to do the Commander 2016 pre-cons at Magic Online and not all the cards were created on Magic Online. It's just mind-blowing that they would spend all this time in R&D, make new cards, and not bring them to Magic Online. My only hope here is that they're using all of their resources for Magic Digital Next or whatever, and that this is a temporary setback, and this is not actually their philosophy, that they just don't have the resources to make these cards because they're building the new platform. Uh, if this is the way they're actually going, then it's, it's terrible, right? Like, how popular is Magic Duels? where you only get a, a subset of Magic legal cards, right? Not very, because it's basically a minigame. It's not Magic proper. It's, it's something else. And I don't think you want Magic Online being something else. I think you want it to be Magic itself. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, the Magic Online going the way of Magic Duels is really scary, and that is something I really don't want to see happen so hopefully like you said it's a sign of big things to come in the future but for right now it's pretty depressing and speaking of depressing and magic online the idea of releasing commander cards and conspiracy cards through treasure chests is horrible as far as the treasure chests in general i have mixed feelings they actually did end up amounting to a prize increase for playing leagues and playing uh, events like that but the idea that you're gonna put these casual cards that only commander players will want no one except some random casual player is going to want brea ethereum sculptor or deep close skate and ha- and those players are going to have to pay seven five ten dollars a card to build just some red random commander deck that you can't even play on tournaments because wizards is only releasing the cards through treasure chest that is that is really bad and they need to avoid doing that in the future Use the, If you've got to keep the treasure chests, use them to increase the supply of older cards, but don't make it the only way to put new cards into the system. That's Not only are there huge delays with Leovold, a really important card just coming onto the system now, but it's also just way out of whack price rise and not not a good thing for uh, the players that need it most. The big appeal to Magic Online, and what I can tell people is... If you want to play competitively, you're going to have to spend a decent amount of money. But if you just want to jam some commander games, you can spend a little bit of money, buy commander staples on the cheap because no one cares about casual on Magic Online, and play an infinite number of commander games for a really low price. But having commander 2016 cards be way too expensive because of this takes away one of the the main reasons I would recommend Magic Online to a big group of casual players. Yeah, the average price of a Commander 2016 deck is like 50 bucks right now on Magic Online. And that's with all of the worthless cards being basically under 5 cents. Like you have the the good cards at 5 to 10 ticks and some of them up to 20 ticks. So it's super expensive uh, given that most Commander decks cost 10 ticks, 20 ticks. <laughs> like 
Commander Online is supposed to be super cheap, yet it is super expensive and more expensive than uh, the MSRP would be if they just simply released the product uh, on Magic Online. Uh, which brings me to my next point of treasure chests. And I saw a, a post on Twitter. Uh, can we declare treasure chests a failure at this point? <laughs> uh, so availability, it hasn't really solved. Uh, we see the, command, the, the conspiracy cards, the, the two hot mythics at 40 plus ticks. We see Commander 2016 cards, crazy expensive, and we can't even get them until uh, this week or last week uh, because supply was so scarce. And Kaladesh booster prices are 2.5 ticks. So way back before everything changed, the motivating factor for changing everything, play points, treasure chests, etc., was booster prices were too low. And it seems we've just come basically full circle, and here we are at 2.5 ticks boosters. So are treasure chests a success? Like, what do you guys think? Have we done anything? Have we accomplished anything? Or have we just kind of went around in a circle? Feels like we went around in a circle. I mean, I, I didn't even. I mean, I was kind of taken back by the whole thought of it from the beginning. But you both have followed this much more closely than I have. So I really. Uh, I mean, I don't really have any more input to say that it was kind of off-putting from the start. And then I saw all the issues with calculating EV and all that. Then I saw it kind of went from there that they were somehow going to be improved. And then we're kind of back to this issue again. <sighs> I, I have really mixed <laughs> feelings. We are pretty clearly walking in circles, but I'm kind of used to that. That's <laughs> the story of Magic Online is a uh, is pretty circular. So I'm I'm pretty used to that part by now. I do appreciate that it's a prize increase, but it's just so so confusing and it's maybe it's just wizards in general at this point we're talking about the darts being thrown at the walls when they announced the play point change that was because booster prices were so low and the other big reasoning was we want to make it easier for if you play a league or play a tournament you can immediately jump back into another one we're going to give you these play points you can just jump right back into another event it's going to make things better and now every change they've made since then has went against what they were trying to do like a year or two ago with that now boosters drop back down thanks to these changes and it's way harder than ever uh, to get into new events because you're getting not only boosters you have to sell, but you're getting treasure chests, which until they made them tradable, you had to actually crack open, hope you opened reasonable cards, and then sell the singles to be able to get tickets to re-enter your event. So I don't, I don't know what Magic Online is thinking. I like that it's a prize increase. That part is good and helpful. Otherwise, uh, every other aspect of treasure chests, I think, is a, a failure. And they could make a prize increase without treasure chests. So I don't think that's a reason that makes treasure chests good. It's just this fringe accidental like side effect that happens to not be the worst thing of all time. Yeah, the, the play points things really irks me because uh, their official reason for play points was to make it easier for players to rejoin events. And fixing booster prices was kind of like the side thing. But they've totally went against it. And now you still have to interact with bots to get back into an event which is totally weird. And then the other weird thing is to get treasure chests, you need to play constructed. Uh, and the treasure chests contain your commander cards. So if you're a <laughs> commander player who doesn't play constructed, how are you supposed to get the cards through treasure chests? It's, it's just really weird to me. And I, I recall a comment on Reddit 
uh, when they made treasure chests tradable that basically said this proves that wizards doesn't know what they're doing uh, because changing a treasure chest from tradable from non-tradable to tradable fundamentally changes the economy and the fact that they're willing to willy-nilly just flip that around shows that there's no long-term plan and I thought that was pretty insightful and now that we're here it is super insightful and super correct like it's it's just throwing darts at a dartboard at this point they're just trying random things and seeing how they they stick and I don't know if there's any plan and I go back again like maybe it doesn't matter because digital next is on the way and they're not putting much thought into this because they don't care but what if digital next doesn't launch what if this is moto for the next three four years what if we never get our Conspiracy 3 cards or Commander 2017 <laughs> cards and they're just like, nope, gone the way of Two-Headed Giant. We'll just, we'll just turn off Commander. Do we, we really have any expectation that Magic Digital Next will not be three or four or five years? Like, do you remember every other time they, they switched over clients? Good God, it, every time it was years longer than, than it was supposed to be. Every single time. And then even after the switch... It's a good year of trying to work through bugs, the program being like almost unplayable sometimes for months at a time. So I I don't have any faith. I have faith that it's possible or even likely that they're devoting their resources to Magic Digital Next, but I don't have any faith that we're going to see that pay off in the next year or even two years i would be super shocked if all of a sudden next spring or next summer they're like hey you got this awesome new client and everything is wonderful in the world so maybe i'm just cynical because i've been on magic online too long but uh i would be very surprised if it happened that way okay let's let's go like totally off topic what if they frontier it what if they're like here's magic digital next all cards m15 forward because I no. could, because they could, that would totally simplify everything. You know, all of these old, it would that weird is a, cards that do yeah. all kinds of crazy stuff don't need to be implemented. Ah, uh, I would be very disappointed. Then you're, <laughs> then you're right back to the magic duels thing. Essentially, is it though? You couldn't even, like you can play. You standard. couldn't even play modern. You couldn't even play modern. Uh, I don't know. Hat, I would tinfoil hat. Uh, now. <laughs> maybe, maybe modern and legacy go away. Standard is the new thing. Frontier becomes the modern replacement. Uh, what it, What about all the... What happens to all the cards in my collection? Do they just delete them? <laughs> just deleted? <laughs> Especially your collection. Uh, you know all the times we play Commander and there's like this weird, obscure old card and we read it, like all four of us, and we're like, what does this even do? <laughs> we don't even know, right? Like, imagine how many of those cards exist and they all have to interact with each other. Oh, I I don't know much about programming, but it has to be miserable to make Magic Online work. Like, I don't have any doubt that it's miserable, but still, just giving up on Modern and Legacy seems like such a high cost. Yeah, well, if they'd keep it, then, yeah, I think five years for Magic <laughs> Digital Next, considering, <laughs> considering the rate at which they're going. All right, well, let's, uh, let's wrap things up with some fish mail. I think uh, we had some really good discussions on the points that we wanted to bring up. So uh, let's, let's answer some fish mail. All right. Richard, so you do us the honors. <laughs> we answer your questions here at MTG Fishmail. So send a tweet with the hashtag MTG Fishmail to at MTG Goldfish, and we'll answer your questions here. So first question from John Strong. A stranger joins your commander game and asks on a scale of 1 to 10, how competitive are you? Uh, this actually happens sometimes because we forget I, to mark our room as private. But. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> How competitive um, are, your, are you guys at Commander? I'm usually a pretty competitive person normally, but when it comes to EDA, I put myself at like a solid seven. Oh, I, I'm the other way. I uh, probably a two, maybe a one when it comes to, to being competitive, I would rather do something cool. And I know I don't kill people as often as I probably should and pay the price for it. Cause I just want to like have everyone play and have a fun game. So, so when it comes to commander, very low on the competitive scale. Uh, I don't want to put myself Fair at enough. five, maybe. I like yeah. my decks to be somewhat legitimate, but sometimes I play really bad decks, and I, I like <laughs> I like to keep on theme. That's more important to me. But after theme, I try to pack as much like card draw and ramp and like legitimately good cards in afterwards. So I think I'm a I'm just solidly in the middle there at five. Uh, next question or comment rather from Maxi Wawa, Hallelujah is Hallelujah. Except with R instead of L. Chaz always seems to have trouble. So, hallelujah, right, but with R's <laughs> instead of L's. Hallelujah. Well, don't I normally... Hallelujah. Well, wasn't that how you would say it? Yeah, I think that's right. How do I normally say it? I don't yeah, know. Hallelujah. Haven't read been saying it? Maybe I say it wrong. I don't know. Na- I, New York is accent is hard. I still feel <laughs> wrong every time I say that. It just seems I like I do, such too. A... It doesn't... Hallelujah. <sighs> I don't know why, but for some reason, I feel like I'm, like... <sighs> It feels like I'm mocking Japanese culture or something, but they named yeah. it that. So what am I supposed to? Do? What am I supposed to do? So I feel bad every time I say it. So I try to like say uh, that big Japanese store or something like that, uh, so I can avoid Saito's saying shop. it. Saito's shop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Next question. I thought I was doing pretty good. <laughs> At Gangsta MTG, what creature do you wish were legendary so you could use it as a commander? Oh, this is a easy one. Uh, Mystic Snake. So sweet. Just a counter spell sitting out there. Flash, whenever anyone goes to cast anything, I can just leave my mana untapped. And it might actually make me cast my commander, which is one of my, my flaws when it comes to playing commander. But if I had a counter spell just sitting there that I could flash in any time, I would, I would cast my commander often. I feel like I want to say troll ascetic because it's like Thrun, <laughs> but a mana cheaper. How about Mall Drifter? <laughs> That's a pretty good one. Yeah. Or Elvish Visionary. Ooh. How about just like randomly Ooh, pay mana well, I... to draw cards whatever you want? Oh, Mole Drifter actually would be really sweet. Uh, how would the commander... Because you wouldn't necessarily ever have to pay the extra two if you evoke it, right? Oh, do we find a loophole? <laughs> does, oh. does the evoke cost go up? Oh, oh that would I be think so that's broken. probably why it's not, it's not <laughs> legendary. <laughs> oh. Also, Nephilim wow. is probably the correct answer for any of us. But if there's well, one I mean, cycle that should have been made well, legendary okay, to yeah. begin with, I think it's I'm those. I'm actually curious. Now that we have the four-color commanders, do people still like Nephilim? No. Why would they? These are so much better. But the Nephilim... <laughs> the Nephilim were actually really horrible cards. <laughs> I, yeah, Lore. they're bad. I just want to do a Nephilim battle for Commander Clash where everyone has a Nephilim as their commander, but that'll that'll never happen. Thanks, Wizards from 2007. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, yeah. All right, from Rye Rapture, what's the card you wish found a home but never did in Standard? I'm looking at you, Drano. <laughs> Underworld Cerberus. Yep, time to talk about the Cerberus. <laughs> Yeah, so this is what happens when I have to evaluate like non-green cards sometimes. Uh, normally, I would have sent a green card, but 
past few years, most green cards are actually used anyways. But Underworld Service, I don't know. I, I still think it's a good card. Come on. I mean, it was it was fairly costed. It was a 5-mana 6-6. Six, six, had pretty good abilities. It was... You couldn't easily block it. I don't know. I still kind of thought it was good. <laughs> I, I'm going to go back a little further and say Armada Worm. Armada Worm, when I when I saw it, it, it looked like Broodmate Dragon. 10 power, trampling for 6 mana. It just seemed like a card that would obviously be an awesome top end. We were in a standard that had Populate and these effects, and it just never really caught on for some reason. Uh, and more recently, I was big on Brutal Horde Chief, too, because it looked like Hellrider, like the Black Hellrider, but that one never worked out either. So those yeah, are two. Do you guys remember Council of the Absolute? Dragon's Mage, <laughs> two, Dragon's Mage? white, oh. and a blue, two, four. <laughs> when it enters the battlefield, name a card other than a creature or land card. Your opponents can't cast cards with the chosen name. Spells with the chosen name yeah. you cast cost two less. Now, if it didn't yeah. have that creature clause, imagine how good it would be today. You slap it down in blue-white flash, name Gideon. Your Gideon now costs two mana. They can't cast their Gideon. Yeah. I think I think one that was pretty much on everyone's uh, list was uh, Dust Mantle Seer. Come on, don't tell oh. me you didn't get excited Flying when they confidant. <laughs> <laughs> when that was just, just just did not happen. Uh, uh, well, if we're gonna talk about things that missed, uh, time reversal was super hyped and never caught on. Oh man, that remember when and, that was pre-ordering for like twenty-five bucks? Oh yeah, everyone was so <laughs> excited, and now I think from buying collections, it might be the literal least valuable <laughs> mythic ever made. Like you can't even sell it as a bulk mythic; it's so it's, unpopular. It, it, it's it's the Tim Tebow of Magic. <laughs> And then they then they reprinted it the next year in the next four set. Hey, Tim Tebow wins, oh. okay? I know. I, hey, don't even get me started on that. <laughs> but yeah, is it too, too uh, soon for Chandra Torch of Defiance? Too soon. Yeah, Narset too Transcendent. Soon. Yeah, no one. Oh, $60 yeah, that cards. was oh. sixty dollars. The cards. list Ooh. is really long. Scab Ruinator was a good one too. Oh, People oh, were super yeah. high oh, on that. Sarkin. Um, that talk. Three color Sarkin Ooh. was good too. Oh, yeah, I, Sarkin. I I think I wrote an article called Sarkin the Broken because I thought it was so good. <laughs> Warden of the First Tree. I remember that one. That hey, actually that was some play. That, that was not yeah, that, that okay. Bad. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I almost got you. I almost got you. yeah. But not Underworld Servers was probably the most egregious one for me. Is that just because you have a big pile that you could never sell, or was there were there yeah. gameplay purposes too? Well, that too. I, I legitimately thought it was going to be a good card. Like there, there was no joke there, <laughs> which probably is a joke now. But. You could put them beside Kibler's stash of Daybreak Rangers. <laughs> oh, yes. I, oh man, that story is so funny because I swear to God, every tournament that standard Kibler played Daybreak Ranger, and you know he was just hoping he would finally get it right so he could sell that pile that he bought when it was first released. But no matter how bad it was in his deck, his deck would always have at least one Daybreak Ranger. <laughs> just to push it. It didn't yeah. even seem yep. that bad. Oh. This was the format of Lingering Souls. You could shoot down Lingering Souls tokens, but it still never did anything useful. I think it's because like it was so hard to flip werewolves when you had Snapcaster and Vapor Snag. Like it's so risky to like pass your turn. I'm gonna flip this, and they're like, "Oh, Vapor Snag you," and you're like, "Oh." <laughs> uh, wasn't green terrible last standard? I don't remember. 
Uh, I think that it was, was when Grant was pretty bad. It was a three mana two two where you wanted to be. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, last question from Kyle R. Now that treasure chests constitute a large portion of payouts on Moto, I'm worried about the investment strategies I've been employing. Uh, now that new copies of staples like Force of Will, Blood Moon, and Pyroblast are trickling into the system, does it make sense to invest in modern legacy and pauper? How has redemption change and treasure chest implementation affected your money making buying and selling on moto seth seth oh. is directly addressed in the question <laughs> this one's to me uh well we haven't really seen an impact from redemption changes yet i assume that it will have a huge impact with standard prices dropping during the middle of standard season that seems like the most likely outcome but i'm kind of waiting to see so that hasn't really impacted me yet but i'll kind of base my plans on it once we see what happens uh with kaladesh uh coming off of redemption this spring way earlier than normal as far as treasure chest i still really think that the supply is low enough that it doesn't have a huge impact like yes there is a slow trickle of these cards and the market but it, the amount seems fairly insignificant and i expect that it will be even more insignificant now that you can sell the treasure chests and there's really no reason to open them like if you open them you're gonna get like 2.5 ticks of cards on average that's your ev but you can sell them for 3.5 ticks so unless you have a really good reason or just like gambling it's almost always well literally always going to be the right thing to do to just sell them unopened so i expect that the supply will slow down even more because people aren't going to be opening their treasure chests like they were when they were forced to open them before they were well, tradable the bots will open them right what are uh, bots going to do with like a big stash of treasure chests uh, i expect they'll stop buying them i mean i don't oh, think the bots if they stop buying the, bots, them, the magic economy is going to grind to a halt no I mean, maybe they just keep discounting them, but I can't imagine, like, if you run a bot, I don't think you can pay 3.4 ticks for uh, 2.6 ticks worth of cards. Like, if you just open them, you're going to lose a tick every one you open on average. Like, isn't that... Well, the price will lower until there's a spread in the bot's favor before they open it, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I... I guess, but then people won't open them. I don't know. The whole the whole thing has been very odd so far because there's such a big spread in the EV between what you expect to get and what bots are paying. So I can't imagine that they're opening them at current prices. So maybe it'll keep dropping down until until they're profitable for opening. But all the boosters, if you look through the prices that bots pay for boosters, they are continually paying... Uh, a value that is greater than the EV 100% of the time. Well, every that's because you booster. use boosters to enter events, right? But I mean, you could sell your, I don't know, well, you do a treasure uh, chest modern, modern Masters 2015 or Urza's Destiny boosters, and you're still going to be able to sell them for more than the EV is. Oh, I see. Yeah, so so I I don't know. The thing is confusing, but... To, to get back to the question, I don't see this as being a huge deal as far as investing is concerned. I just really don't think the supply is high enough. The numbers I've seen from people is that you're at like one Black Lotus a month, potentially, like of the, the highest rarity cards to come out of treasure chests. And why that's something, it's really not that much when you consider we live through flashback drafts and things like that. So I think the supply is actually relatively... Uh, unimpactful as far as finance is concerned. 
All right, that's Oliver Fishmeal this week. Okay, I think that uh, I think that about does it, gentlemen. We covered everything. We had some really good discussions, I think, and some great fishmail. So yeah, thanks for everyone for sending those in. We will answer as many as we can each week, and if we don't get to your specific fishmail on cast, we will do our best to answer them personally via email or on Twitter. We will do this again next week. So yep, that's going to be the MTG Goldfish crew signing out.